Hey folks, welcome to Bad GM's Campaign Build-Along. I'm the Bad GM, Wayne Davis, and this is the show where we build an entire campaign from scratch, and it's ready-made for you to start running tonight. This season is dedicated to the Fallout role-playing game, so if you need a book, head on out to your local game shop or bookstore, or you can check out the Modifius Entertainment website, that's M-O-D-I-P-H-I-U-S dot net. Before we get into the build this week, I wanted to address a question I get from time to time, and that's about the length of the shows and the amount of material we cover. I've had several listeners ask why we only go about a half an hour and why we don't build more each week. Now, I've hit on this before, but I know we've got a lot of new listeners, so let me put it out there again. I go with the 30-minute podcast length because I believe it's the perfect length for somebody to be able to listen to the entire thing at one go. And that's whether it's on the drive to work, a bus ride, a train ride, a subway ride, you get the picture. Now, I might be wrong on that, but I started role-playing history with that same philosophy, and I just continued on when we started the show. The reason for the amount of build we do is similar, but I do need to add this. I like to end the build when I've completed what I consider to be a thought, or more to the point, when I've resolved the particular point that seems to be the focus for that particular scene. Again, sometimes I go a bit longer so as to set up the next scene, but that's the basic idea why we build as much or as little as we do in a given week. So I hope I answered that question and keep the questions coming. It's time to build, but before we build new stuff, we need to recap what we built last week. Last week, our group took off for Clayton to check out the deal going down between Longsworth and whom they presumed was Mass Logistics. The group ran into a number of encounters along the way, but got there, were able to scope out the scene, then headed to their safe house to settle in. That turned out to not be nearly as safe as they'd hoped, but they dealt with that and they moved on. They made their way to the meeting and noticed individuals in Garson Tactical Gear escort someone in, followed shortly thereafter by synths escorting Longsworth. A firefight broke out and Longsworth took off, followed by a few of his synths. The group chased him down and were ultimately able to determine he was headed for the old Vess bottling plant. They got there first and found the two dozen synths Longsworth was presumably buying. Longsworth arrived shortly after them and he and the group agreed to talk. Longsworth swore up and down and left and right that he'd only dealt with Tucker Malloy and Jackson Denman for synths, and that's because he prefers to use them as protection. All he asks is that the group allow him to leave with his synths. No harm, no foul, in his mind. He also gave the group a holotape he claims he took off of Sylvester Owens when he killed him in the parking garage. When the group listened to that, they heard the voice of Tucker Malloy informing Owens that he was to head to their Ledoux facility the following day to take charge of their project. It's hinted that our group is onto their business, and it's implied that there's a weapon there they will need. The group headed back to Diamond Pass to meet with Victor, but he wasn't in his office, and neither was Bruno. The group was handed a note from Victor informing them he was out on business and that he'd meet with them in the morning. That's where we left the last build, so that's where we'll pick up here. Quick side note, I know I said a couple of weeks ago that we had a number of different directions we could go in building out the campaign, and I know we haven't gotten to them all just yet. I'm just the kind of guy who rides ideas like this through to their logical conclusion before moving on to the next. And if we're being honest, a few of the other options for the group will get mixed in before we're done. 
The group had been instructed to take the night off, so this is another one of those opportunities for the group to work on upgrades to weapons and armor or whatever it is they like to do with their downtime. It also occurs to me, thanks to a few things Aniston and Braden said to me during our last game, that if you have a Brotherhood of Steel member, they might be inclined to reach out to the Brotherhood to report what's going on. Heck, they might have wanted to do that when the synths first reared their mechanical heads. But let's take an aside here to discuss it for just a moment, and I think it's important to do so because it's bound to come up at some point. The very first thing we have to work out is how would the Brotherhood members in your group actually make contact with the Brotherhood? I mean, I don't know how the Brotherhood members in your group came in, but the ones in mine started with the group in the beginning adventure from Modiphius that I ran as a warm-up to this campaign, and that adventure was set in the Commonwealth. I sort of glossed over how they got halfway across the continent, but it's pretty safe to say it was a lot like Kane from Kung Fu. Okay, so uh, maybe some of you have no idea what that reference is. Um, Google it. I say all of that to say this. Without cell phones being an option, the forms of communication they have available are shortwave radios. I mean, if you've played the Fallout 4 video game, the Brotherhood members had to dig up a part in order to extend their signal enough to actually make contact, and we're left to assume the reinforcements that arrived were somewhere near the Boston area. My assumption would be Washington, D.C. based on Fallout 3, but, you know, I'm just guessing here. That leaves the option of finding a wasteland traveler willing to deliver a message, and that's not necessarily the fastest or most reliable method to get a message out. Email would also be an option, I suppose, but again, we're not sure exactly how the system works in Fallout 4 since the majority of the mail we see on computers is generated internally. Once you've figured out how they will get the message out, have them send it, then... Let it go for a while. I can assure you, the Brotherhood will be coming, but it's not going to be in the immediate future. There are reasons for that, and we're going to leave those for another time. So let's get back to the build. Give the group the overnight and into the morning, but I'm sure they're going to want to meet with Victor as soon as possible, since it's very rare that both he and Bruno weren't at the third base saloon. Whenever they arrive, they see Bruno inside the saloon doing his usual job of managing the other Mr. Handy robots as well as greeting those who come in. He gives the group the usual nod and gestures towards the back hallway, the direction they would usually go to get to Victor's office. Victor is in his office when they enter, and he's got several stacks of paperwork on his desk. It's very well organized, and he's in the process of dropping a sheet onto one of the stacks. He asks the group for their recap of what happened the previous evening, then offers his own assignment. He will comment on the project in Ledoux and will immediately note that with the death of Owens, Denman and Malloy will probably be on alert, so he suggests they don't go running straight at them. Instead, he suggests they work their way around to get to the Ledoux operation. He does acknowledge that whatever weapon they're working on is something that shouldn't be taken lightly, but heading straight for the facility at this point would be, in his words, suicide especially without the heavy artillery that was stolen from his storage facility. So his thought is that they should follow up on his lead on the company assembling the circuitry for the synths. The thought process here is that if they can get inside, they can not only dig up more information on Malloy, Denman, and whomever else they're working with, but with their propensity for causing chaos wherever they go, they might just be able to let a gremlin or two loose into the works. His meeting the previous evening was with one of his colleagues in the business world, and that contact provided him with another location for iRobotics. Ironically enough, it's located in Richmond Heights, which puts it near Mass Logistics, but not too far away from Ledoux. 
So knowing what they know now, it's entirely possible that whatever is being cooked up for the weapon might be coming from that facility. He also notes as an aside that in exchange for that information, along with a few other things he learned but isn't in a position to share at this time, he agreed to have a job completed for that colleague, and he's going to need the group to take care of it at some point. He's not going to ask them to do it for free, but he also notes it's something that can wait, at least for a couple of days. Victor isn't going to stand in the group's way if they want to head for Ledoux. He's not going to be happy with that, but if they decide that's where they want to go, he's going to resign himself to that fact. So we've got a couple of options here, and we'll build them both out today. Let's start with the iRobotics option, since it's probably the one the group will choose to go with. The location Victor's colleague gave him is, in the real world, a Catholic church in a 1970-style two-level strip mall that once held a bowling alley. In this world, the entirety of that section is a one-story factory. There's decent security around the building, as the fencing around it is solid and 10 feet high, with razor wire topping it. Inside the perimeter of the fence, a half a dozen sentry bots roll around, scanning the area for security breaches. The group can note multiple entrances to the facility, as there are at least a pair of doors on each side, so finding a way in isn't going to be the issue. Instead, it's going to be getting past the security to actually get to those entrances. Oh, and if they actually decide on a frontal assault, the stats for those sentry bots is on pages 364 and 365. But let's be honest, by this point, the group's been trying to find alternate ways to get into almost any facility. It's going to take a bit of searching, but they'll find a manhole cover in the middle of the old Manchester Boulevard at about the midway point of the facility. It would be a safe assumption that this leads to the old sewer system, and it would also be a safe assumption that it ties into the facility. So, they can pull the cover without much issue, and they can use the old rusted rungs to get all the way down. There aren't any security guards or turrets down here, so for them that's going to be a positive. However, there are going to be multiple creatures for them to take on. But, let's start with them figuring out which way to go. Because they can head both east and west, and for the record, they're going to need to head west to get to the facility. Try to keep it vague to the group insofar as their direction. If they have a robot or a Pip-Boy, direction will be an issue. Without those, they're going to have to try to remember the setup above ground so they head the right direction here, since they will have turned at least 90 degrees to head down the ladder. We'll make them earn it. Endurance plus survival, difficulty one. Success means they got their direction right. Now, I mentioned encounters. There are a lot of them that we can lay out, but since I don't know how much combat you like to run, I'll note the group will have to make it around a thousand yards to the next ladder, and that leaves plenty of time for them to be attacked. And we can have creatures come from both sides, thanks to the way we've got this laid out. So here's what I'm thinking. Five or six Mirelurks, stats on page 345. Maybe a Mirelurk hunter along with a few Mirelurks, stats also on page 345. Rad scorpions are also a logical choice, and I'd toss two or three at them at a go. Those stats are on page 351. If you're feeling particularly cruel, go with 15 to 20 rad roaches coming at them as a mini swarm, and the stats for those are on page 350. Like I said, run as many encounters as you'd like, but run at least two. They should have to work a bit to get there. Once they've hit the thousand yard mark, they find the rungs heading back up. Of course, there's going to be a cover of some sort above, so the strongest in the group should be the one to lead. We're not going to ask for a roll to move the lid, so don't sweat that. But I think I'd make the group sweat it a bit, since they're probably going to be a bit paranoid about all this in the first place. So let's set the scene when they pop the hatch. 
They come out into a pitch black room. So until light is introduced, they're not going to see squat. Once they can see, they realize they're in a storage room of some sort. And by storage room, I mean storage for the individual parts needed to assemble things. Coils of wire, boxes of gears and screws, materials to assemble circuit panels. You get the picture. Obviously, if the group would like to snag a few things, use your judgment to decide how much stuff they can grab. Of course, the next task is to get a glance out the door to check security. Fortunately, iRobotics never considered the possibility that someone would gain access to this facility through the old sewer, so this door doesn't have an alarm trigger of any sort on it, nor does it have a fancy lock. They'll need to crack it, and when they do, they'll see a 120 by 120 foot room with a number of large tables set up. There are a few lights, but it's more like the mass logistics lights they saw, which means they're more for the overnight than for what would be used during the production day. When they get the chance to check out the tables, they notice they're set up for the assembly of synth parts. They see synth arms in various states of completion at various stations in the room, and they can also find a rack of completed arms lining the far wall. They also note that the wall with the door is made of glass, and they can see out into the wide hallway and across to another glass wall. They also notice the Protectron robots handling security. Overall, there are two dozen of these handling the security for the building, and they patrol in pairs. Your call on whether or not the two in this immediate area see the group. If they do, let the games begin. If not, the group can make their agility and sneak checks, difficulty three, to sneak out of the room and out into the hallway. Stats for the Protectrons, by the way, are on page 363. Rather than go room by room with descriptions, since there's going to be a lot of same-same here, I'll lay out what's in each of the rooms and then get to the rooms the group is really going to want to be interested in. They've been in the arm room. There's one for legs, one for torsos, one for heads, and one where they assemble the tech pieces that handle the processing for the synth overall. As I said, those are going to be set up in a very similar way, though there will obviously be some differences, and I'm going to leave those details for you. For our floor plan, there's also a large cafeteria, several restrooms, and a couple of lounges that could be best defined as relaxation areas. You, again, fill those out however you choose. What's going to interest the group, however, are the offices. There are four of them, and they're sprinkled through the building. All four have the same basic setup with a decent-sized metal desk, desk chair, a half a dozen or so cabinets, and a small couch with a table in front of it. The differences will be laid out as we go along. There are nameplates on these offices, by the way, so the group will know who they're checking into before they actually get in there. The first office is for Louis Sapowski, Director of Logistics. He's got a bunch of charts and organization lists on the walls, charts and files on the couch and the table, and the cabinets have charts and sheets practically hanging out of them. He's got a computer on his desk, and it's not password protected. Getting in, one of the first files that will catch their attention is the customer list. It doesn't list individuals, but Mass Logistics is on there, as are two other locales, O'Reilly Industries Incorporated and Garson Tactical. The O'Reilly address is what is in the real world right now, the corporate headquarters for the old Ralston Purina company. While the Garson Tactical location, that's in an area of St. Louis County known as Oakville. All of the other customers are outside the area, with the next closest being in Kansas City. 
There's another file that will draw their attention, the file with the number of products. Mass Logistics gets the most, and if they do the quick math, they'll get the equivalent of about 10,000 synths worth of product every six months. The other two get somewhere in the area of 5,000 in the same lengths of time. Nothing else of value in here, so let's move along. The next office belongs to Alicia Brewer, head of technology. Her office is very neat, with a place for everything and everything in its place. Her computer is protected, so we'll go with Intelligence plus Science, difficulty 3 to crack it. The info in here is all of the schematics that are used to create the various parts used to assemble the synths. This gives the group an opportunity to cause some chaos, as they can make adjustments to the schematics that can and probably will cause malfunctions over time. Or, as my group will probably do, they can delete the schematics completely and then try to wipe the system. To do that, they'll need Intelligence plus Science Difficulty 5. That's all of interest to the group in here. Office 3 belongs to B347, who is listed as the Chief Brand Officer. This office is Spartan. I mean, there's nothing in here that looks like it's been used much. In fact, we could argue that some of the furniture still has its protective wrapping around it. This computer isn't password protected, but it also doesn't have anything on it. Intelligence plus Science Check Difficulty 2 will tell them that B347 probably jacks directly into the system and stores the information externally. Now, this is a situation where they could plant some sort of bug or virus if they've got one. Intelligence plus science, difficulty five. The name on the fourth door is going to slap them in the face a bit. Sherman Longsworth, chairman and chief executive officer. That's going to set off alarm bells with the group since they're going to wonder whether or not this is the same Longsworth they've been dealing with. Now, the office has a lived-in look, but they also get the impression that there hasn't been anyone in here in a while. Checking the computer, it's not only unlocked, but an intelligence plus science check difficulty 2 will tell them this system was hacked at some point. They can work through the files, and while they find copies of the other stuff they've seen to this point, they can also find Sherman's email files. What should draw their attention is that the final mail on the list was deleted a couple of weeks ago, though it was sent to a Marion Thomas in Kansas City. They can see the subject line, and it reads, Cease and Desist Immediately. In one corner of the office, they do find a white suit hanging on a coat rack, but the style is less Colonel Sanders and more slick executive. It's a skinny suit with a very colorful tie. So now they're probably very confused. They might be thinking that the Longsworth they know stole this Longsworth identity, and they'd be right, but there's more on that coming. The group's probably done as much damage as they can in here, so they'll need to make their way back to the entry point. They'll need to make a couple of more sneak checks, but once they're there, they can head back out. If you want to toss another encounter at them, go ahead. I probably won't, though. Once they're out, the presumption is that they will head back to Diamond Pass to run through what they found with Victor, and we'll pick that up in a bit. Now, let's back up and see how this goes if they go full-on frontal assault. I mean, we pointed out the stats for the sentry bots, and it'll start with one, with a second coming in at round four, and another every four rounds until they're all in the mix. Once the group has dealt with all of them, they have access to the facility. Of course, they could try to sneak past all those sentry bots, though that would sort of defeat the idea of going in this way at all, don't you think? Agility plus sneak, difficulty four to pull it off, but they'll need to do it three times, and there cannot be any complications. Complications will have them noticed by a sentry bot, though not the one or ones they're sneaking past. 
Once they get to the door, they'll need to get through the electronic lock. That's intelligence plus science, difficulty three to break in. And once they've done that, things work the way we set them up before. Now, let's get back to the past and Victor. The group will present everything they've got to Victor, and he will be pleased. He'll note that messing with the assembly process should shut synth production down for a bit. He also agrees that knowing who is getting the synths is a big deal. And knowing where the major Garson facility is gives them an opportunity to take care of one of the biggest thorns in their side once and for all. The Longsworth thing bothers him. For once, he doesn't seem to have anything to say. He takes a few notes, but he doesn't really legit say a word otherwise. And for once, he doesn't even have a suggestion as to what the group should do next. That means the group should understand that they get to make the call for the next job, and we'll get to that job next week. In the meanwhile, check out our other podcast, Role Playing History. This week, we have our third episode, breaking down the most popular modules and published adventures of all time, according to our listeners. We have covered a lot of really cool stuff to this point, and I can promise you this week will be just as cool. Role Playing History is available wherever you get your podcasts or on our website, badgmproductions.net. All Fallout role-playing game materials referenced on this program are the trademarked and copyrighted properties of Modifius Entertainment through their license with Bethesda Games and are utilized on this show for entertainment purposes only. If you're interested in checking out any of the fine products they produce, check out their website at modiphius.net. The music we use for this show comes from pixabay.com. Check them out for all your license-free, royalty-free music needs. Bad GM's campaign build-along is a production of Bad GM Productions. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash gaming forward slash Bad GM Prod, on Twitter at Bad GMP, YouTube and Tumblr, Bad GM Productions. You can email us, badgmproductions at gmail.com, and online the website is badgmproductions.net. Next week, our group makes the call for the next step in what we've been calling their vengeance ride. But that's next week. Until then, I'm the bad GM, Wayne Davis, and I'll see you at the game table.